Our scripture this morning uh, comes from the book of John, chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. It says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence. It's so great to be with you guys. You ever have that feeling like you don't know what's going to happen that day? Like, in a good way, like you don't, you have just no idea. Like, it feels like like something could happen today. (laughs) We've been here uh, dealing with things that are out of our control for the last few weeks you've been with us. Um, yesterday, I heard a, a, a news report about the fires in California. And, you know, a lot of times you hear reports about wildfires, and they'll say, uh, it's about 5% contained, 10%, 80% contained. They said yesterday that the fire is 0% contained. Like, it's literally out of control. Some of us, like, know what that feels like. <laughs> like, our life is, like, literally out of, out of control. It turns out as we've learned for the last few weeks, that a lot of things are out of our control. A lot of things are more than we can handle. And if I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't like that. Because that, that's okay, like to not like things being out of control. I'm, I'm what I have termed, I just came up with this term, a chronic handler. It, it doesn't mean that I, that I am a fixer. I, don't, I can't, nor do I feel the need to fix every situation. But I just kind of like remain calm in chaos sometimes. And that bothers other people around me, I know, because it's just different. <laughs> um, but I also want answers. Like, I want to make sense of what's happening. I want to understand the things that are happening around me in the world. I want to know the reason. It's, uh, it's not new for Jesus' followers to look for a reason when things go wrong, right? It's not new to look for a reason. We just heard that in this passage. I want to give you a little bit of background on the passage that Jacob just shared with us this morning. So Jesus... Um, was on this particularly busy day of upsetting religious people, which is like his specialty. It would be on his business card. I upset <laughs> religious people. See, what had happened in the chapter before, before this is Jesus had defended this woman who had been caught in adultery. So the crowd had gathered around, they were picking up stones, and they were getting ready to throw stones at this woman. And Jesus drew a line in the sand, and he said, one without sin cast the first stone. They dropped their stones. And then Jesus continued to have a conversation, and he began to tell them, this is like the most profound statement of Jesus talking about who he is. 
that he's the son of God, that he was there when Abraham was there, that he's been here through the whole thing. And the crowd was hearing that. These religious people who had it all figured out were hearing that. And they looked at him and they leaned back over to pick up their stones (laughs) that they had just put down. And they were going to throw them at Jesus. And it tells us that that Jesus kind of slipped away. So the storyteller tells us in the passage that we just heard, it says, starts off, as he went along. And when I've heard those words in the past, not putting them in context, I heard them as like, as he went along, you know, like a walk in the park. (laughs) But he had people with stones who were trying to kill him. So I think it's more like, as he went along. (laughs) He and the disciples who were walking with him came upon this man who was born blind. And he was begging. And they knew him. They'd seen him before. Everybody knew this guy. He was always there. He was always there in in his little neighborhood in Jerusalem, and and he was begging. So people expected to see him. And sometimes when somebody is begging in the same spot over and over again, you might see this in your day-to-day life, we stop seeing them, right? But the disciples saw him. They saw the man begging, and they, they said to Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Now, Jesus is asked this kind of question all the time. It's actually usually the people that were holding the stones a uh, chapter earlier. They're asking the questions that are saying, they're trying to trip up Jesus. You know, they're trying to give him some kind of a riddle that can't really be answered correctly so they can accuse him. But this time, it was a genuine question that was asked by a friend of Jesus. And the assumption, the implication in this question is, somebody had to have sinned because what is in front of us is not right. Like, it's not how it's supposed to be. So who sinned? Like, explain this to us, Jesus. Things aren't right. Help me understand. Because there's got to be somebody to blame, right? There's a phrase that we say to people when they're, when they're suffering, when they're in pain, when they're um, even facing disease. We'll say to them, everything happens for, finish it for me, a reason, right? Everything happens for a reason, which I think we say that it comes from a really good place in our hearts because we want that to be true. We want it to be true that everything happens for a reason. And I think in saying that, sometimes we're saying we, that we think that the fix for the problem is a reason, that the solution to the problem that we're facing is, is a reason. Now, sometimes finding the reason can keep it from happening again, but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem that we're in the middle of. And so we can't put these words into Jesus' mouth in the story. Does everything happen for a reason? Is there always an answer to explain our, our suffering, to explain why cancer happens, to explain accidents, to explain wildfires? The story we're witnessing is not about finding the cause or the purpose of this man's condition, his blindness. It's about seeing an opportunity for the healing power of Jesus to shine through in the moment. Now, I understand, like, hearing those words when you're in the middle of suffering doesn't sound all that great. It kind of just sounds like religious words sometimes. So we're going we're gonna to stick with it and talk through this. It's about seeing an opportunity for the healing power of Jesus to shine through. The truth is that God can redeem and make meaning out of the most difficult situation. But that doesn't, hear this part, that doesn't necessarily mean that God created the situation in order to do that. Some situations that we find ourselves in, we have clearly created them, right? Some situations we find ourselves in, the environment around us has created them. Some situations that we find ourselves in, we'll never know. Like we can dig and dig and dig all the rest of our lives and we'll never know. 
I've looked for answers that would lead to healing at different points in my life, and some of them are in really small ways. I've got a silly example for you. Um, in, in a moment of what I can only imagine was sheer desperation, I was invited to participate in one of those teams where you do like a race and you do op- a bunch of obstacles in the, during, during the race, like things that your average human being really would just never choose to do and especially would never choose to do on a Saturday morning. Like, that's just ridiculous that you would do these, these things. But I, I, said, I said yes to it, and I'm actually really glad, just like caveat, I'm really glad that I said yes. It was a lot of fun. Um, but when I got this invitation to join this, this team that was doing this race, I instantly thought to myself, this is kind of where my mind goes, I'm like, they, they asked me to be on the team because they wanted the average age of the team to go up in hopes that it would like bump up into the next age bracket and have a chance of winning against the old guys that are out there. That was my, my thought. You know, there are some advantages of getting older. You just have to like outlast the other people, right? I, I'm pretty sure that was why I was invited. <laughs> but in the course of this event, a few things happened to my body. And we don't have to go into great detail about what it was. I don't even know the exact moment when it happened to my body. It was actually a few days later when the the bruising and the swelling began to go down, that, <laughs> that I noticed like some pains in places I just hadn't had pains before. Like my lower legs were hurting, my left wrist is actually still a little, little off right, <laughs> right now. You know, uh, sometimes the real pain is below the surface. It took a few days to notice it. And as I began to realize that it's going to take some time to re- like fully recover from these strange, mysterious injuries, one thing I never had to ask myself is, what is the reason for my suffering? <laughs> I didn't have to ask. Like, I'm pretty sure I knew. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. Well, the reason for my, my injury was that I ha- wasn't fully prepared. My, my body hadn't done mo- these kind of things since I was a little kid. <laughs> um, it really wasn't a question of who sinned, this man or his parents. If that was the question, it would be my parents. But <laughs> who sinned? I think it actually had more to do with trying to climb over an eight-foot wall um, and crawling under yards and yards of of barbed wire. (laughs) That plus getting older. (laughs) So I really can't, like, I can't put that on God, right? (laughs) Or really anyone else. (laughs) Instead of seeking answers, um, I've tried to seek healing. And so I found different results along the way. One of the youngest Providence people, most of you here have never met yet. He's eight weeks old. His name is Wyatt. Uh, he was born really uh, very prematurely. He was born at a, barely over one pound. And so far, his whole life has been in, in, I, in the NICU unit. He's fighting for his life today. And a couple weeks after he was born, the doctors were like, his kidneys aren't working. Things are shutting down. This is not good. And so uh, Pastor Jacob and I went and we prayed. And we prayed like particularly just like over his body and over his kidneys to function. Like we didn't know exactly what all needed to happen, but we knew that God did. And so we prayed for that. And the next day, the nurses were just amazed. They were like, we didn't think it was going to happen. And they were standing there kind of back behind the scene when, when we prayed. And they were amazed. And now Wyatt is still fighting for his life today. So Wyatt, like put that on your, on your prayer list. Pray for little Wyatt. Other times I've prayed on the way into the hospital. I've literally prayed this prayer. I've prayed, God, start the heart. Start the heart. Start, start the heart. As I've walked into the hospital, and then I walk into the room, 
and it didn't happen. Like, and then I'm wondering, like, the reason. Was I supposed to say it differently? <laughs> Was I not clear? <laughs> God, start the heart. Start the heart. <laughs> it, finding a reason in that moment wouldn't have fixed it. You want, to, you want to know the reason, and that's good. But it wouldn't have, wouldn't have fixed the situation right then. It would have just given us a reason, not a solution. At some point, it stops being helpful to analyze who or what is to blame, and more helpful just to say, God, I need you. I need your, your healing. Jesus said to the question that the disciples asked, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The disciples never would have come to this conclusion if they hadn't asked the question, right? Like they were trying to reason it through. They see this man, it's not quite, it's not quite what they feel like God was probably intending. So they're wondering what went wrong, and they're asking questions. So there's nothing wrong with faith that is seeking understanding. In fact, at one point in the scripture, God says through the prophet Isaiah, come, let us reason this out. Let us think it through. So reason is great. And I think that reasonable, though, is sometimes overrated. God makes reason out of unreasonable situations all the time. Now, I've left, I've got a blank in your, in, in your program on this one, and I, I'm not going to fill it in because I want you to fill it in. God makes reason out of unreasonable situations like, so what's the unreasonable situation that you're facing right now? Like that, that phone call I just got, or the thing that's not quite right, that's unreasonable. It's unreasonable that they said the word cancer. It's unreasonable that she's gone, right? So the unreasonable situation. If you're looking for reasons, great. If you're looking for blame, you might be stuck. How many times have you been blinded by a need for blame and left unable to see the glory of God? Now, like, clearly, and this is a, a downer topic, sorry, guys, that <laughs> there is more than enough pain to go around. I learned this last week how it's impacting our nation in a really big way. Like, pain itself, like, literally pain, is at the center of the newest epidemic in our country. You've probably heard about this. It's happening right here in our community as well. Last week, Providence Church hosted a gathering of a new initiative called Drug-Free Wilco. And the topic of the night was talking about opioid addiction. The effort was spearheaded by the grief of a mother who had lost her son. I met her. She was sitting right over here uh, beforehand. I didn't really know the whole story. I went up and introduced myself to her, and she said, my name is Lisa, and I'm the mom. (laughs) She was the mom who started this this initiative because her son, this last February, her her 30-year-old son died of a drug overdose. She shared her story. She was sitting right here. She shared her story about how he had actually just, he was injured and a doctor prescribed pain medicine for him and he got addicted to it. And when that ran out, um, he went to the streets and he found heroin and it was laced with, other, with fentanyl that, that made it a, a terrible addiction, which is at the root of why many people are dying of drug overdoses in our community today. And she shared her story. She shared it with passion and, and with power. Later on in the evening, we had a little Q&A session, and a young man was sitting right back here, and he had recently got out of prison, and he was addicted to pain medicine, and he said, there's no help for us in the prison, and he could just kind of hear it in his voice. He was still in the middle of it, and about 10 minutes later, the, the mic came back to, to Lisa, and she's, she brought attention to the room back to that young man, 
she said, I, I, I heard you sharing. She said, I feel like you're still in the middle of this. And if you're still in the middle of this, I'm going to keep talking to you. Like she entered into his story and it turned out that he was a classmate of her son's. And she looked at him and she said, you are my son. She entered into exactly what he was in the middle of. And then she said, I'm identifying with you and I'm in the middle of this and we're going to find another way. Did God give her son the, the injury that created the pain that led to the addiction? No. Did God use the brokenness to create something beautiful? Absolutely. That's what God does. Another speaker was up here as well as a doctor who himself had been addicted to pain medicine in the past. He told the truth about pain. He said that we often think that we have to get rid of pain, but you can't wipe out pain because we have pain when something is wrong, right? Pain is a symptom that something is not quite right. It's really the root of why the disciples asked that question. There's something that's not quite right. Why is there pain? Because something is not quite right. And if we only treat the pain, we are just going to prolong the problem. Sometimes our pain is a result of the core issue. And for all of us, the core issue that we have in common is that our world is imperfect and broken. It's kind of that simple. You ever get caught up in the middle of a pain contest? I, uh, I used to work in a, when I was in high school and college, I worked in a retirement home and um, in a healthcare facility. And I would walk into the middle of these conversations and, and I would hear things like, I see your back pain and I raise you my arthritis. <laughs> it was like, get at it, you know, like this is a contest. <laughs> we don't have to compare our suffering. <laughs> this is kind of hard for me because as a pastor, you know, you get to spend a lot of, like, it's a, it's, it's a strange, like, honor, and it's humbling to be able to be with people when they are suffering. And I can tell you, I have not experienced the depth of suffering that many of you have. But you know who has? God has. Through Jesus Christ, God has experienced suffering that is on par with anything we face. The only answer to suffering, and I put answer in quotes because it's not just about coming up with an answer, but the only thing we can come to about suffering is that God is in it with us. And God says to us, I see you struggling right now, and if you're struggling right now, I'm going to keep talking to you, I'm going to stay with you, and you are my son, and you are my daughter. Suffering and sin and death because of Jesus Christ, because God risked entering into what it meant to be a human and to suffer, they've become undone. The completion of that undoneness, though, is still to come. That's why we still feel it, right? That's why we still feel the tension and the, and the pain and the struggle in that. You know, sometimes we want answers from God the same way we want answers from a person who has wronged us. Say, God, I, I told you what I wanted, so come and take care of this. I want my plan to work out. Just kind of a silly way of approaching God, right? Another human being might get mad, but God isn't human. Another human being might retreat from or retaliate against our questioning. God actually became human in Jesus, entered into suffering alongside us, and then declared that death and suffering will not last forever. That is the good news. <laughs> so we still see it. 
we see that we're a project of perfection. Does, that, does it stink to be a project of perfection, like to not be there yet, to still feel the pain? You know that it still stinks. <laughs> and there's no reason to say otherwise. But does that mean that living through suffering is pointless? No. Here's why. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Let me fill in the rest of what he just said. I was blind, but now I see. I was broken, but now I'm seeing wholeness. I'm the one in whose life God did something big. How then were your eyes open, they asked him. And I love the turn of the question here. As the story started with the disciples asking the question, this is what the question of him used to be, why is he blind? What's the cause? What's the reason for his blindness? Now the question is, why is he not blind? (laughs) What, what in your life causes people to ask questions that reveal the glory of God? Why is he not angry? Why is that marriage still together? Why does that, that person not respond to that statement on Facebook? He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Here's an invitation for you. Remain open to the possibility that God's glory will be revealed in your suffering. Didn't cause it, but his, God, but his glory can be revealed in it. Which doesn't make it reasonable, but it does make it redemptive. It's redemption, even in the middle of our worst suffering. Anything that is less than God's desire for us is an opportunity to see God do something amazing. So here, at the, at the end of it all, all of our reasoning and our attempts of understanding pain and disease, here's the basic thing we, that we need to know. The thing that is unique about a Christian perspective on suffering is that in spite of all of the hours of energy that our suffering consumes, it is not the ruler of your life. Disability is not your identity. Depression and addiction, and anxiety, they are not who you are. What is your identity? Your identity comes from the one who says, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child. This morning, we want to invite you to seek out healing. So you can, like, if you're working through some reasoning of, like, why am I in the middle of this suffering? I want you to keep doing that, but I want you to invite you to come forward and, and bring it to a point of healing today. We've seen the healing power of Jesus in this place. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes we bring our brokenness and it's just like instantaneous. Usually it takes a while. Usually it's a process. Sometimes it's painfully gradual, God's healing. But we seek it out together for the sake, for our sake and for the glory of God. We've got some folks this morning that after you 
are invited to come for communion or instead of communion, you can go, uh, they'll be on the sides with, with some healing oil and, and they would just love to pray with you. You can bring the thing that you're suffering with or you, you can even just kind of keep it a, please pray for the healing of this unspoken thing. What we know is that God desires to make us whole. God desires to bring healing to us. We want to see God move in this place. No longer is the question just on why, but on what will you do now, God? We believe that God will move. Let's pray. God, when we think about it, we can, each one of us, relate to the person who feels like they are left to to begging on the side of the road. We feel like our suffering certainly couldn't be relatable to anybody else. Some of us, it's hidden deep in our hearts. And we've tried to make it comfortable for it to be there. God, we have people around us today that are asking, what is the cause? What is behind that? So God, in our pursuit of full healing, We bring our suffering and our brokenness to you. We bring our disease and our sickness and our pain. We bring our brokenness of relationships and broken hearts to you. You're a God who can mend and can heal. So we look to you, God. We trust in you and we have faith in you because you're you're the God who sent your son into the world to show us how to live, to show us how to live through suffering, to show us that there is life beyond what we can see here. So as we're invited to this table where there is bread and there is juice, that is a sign of your presence, the body and blood of Christ. Prepare our hearts to receive it. And in your spirit, may it be for us the body and blood of Christ, so that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name.